Do you feel it? It's coming back, isn't it? Recovery is on the way. Recovery is happening even now as we speak. Because it's what God intends for us. Amen. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I don't mind telling you. I looked out and scanned the congregation this morning and I, I, had to share, I had to shed a couple of tears because I just, it seems like every week just more and more people are coming in and coming back to the house of the Lord. Now, I've spoken with several on the phones and they've said, Pastor, keep my seat warmed up because it won't be long and I'll be there. Some of our older, more vulnerable people, they said, I'm I'm on the list for my vaccine, and it won't be long, and I'll be back in the Lord's house. Amen. Well, vaccine or no, I'm glad people are coming back to the house of the Lord, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Isn't it great to see Miss Denise here this morning? Amen. You know, there was a time when, when they weren't sure whether or not she'd ever step foot back into the house of the Lord again because of the circumstance that she faced. But aren't you glad that God is bigger than any circumstance that we face? Amen. And it ain't over till he says it's over. Right? Amen. I have mixed emotions about that song because there are some things I want to be over. Amen? <laughs> there are just some things I'd like for it to disappear and, and never be seen again. But the point of the song is, is that there's never a good time to quit, to lay down our weapons of warfare and say, it's over, I've been defeated. No. No, we're not defeated. In Jesus' name, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through him who has called us. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I asked the ladies on the front row if they brought their shouting shoes this morning, if they were ready to shout a little bit, and they said they were ready. In fact, one of them said that if it, kept, if it, if it keeps getting better, she might just go ahead and rapture on up. Well, listen, you're not rapturing without me. I want to tell you that right now. If God's going to take a few up, I'm, I want to be on the load, don't you? I want to be on the, the bus. Praise the Lord. God's doing wonderful things. We're getting good reports about all that we've been facing. I was just thinking this morning that it was just about a year ago that we started hearing all these rumblings about this uh, worldwide pandemic and uh, how we were going to have to adjust to this, that, and the other. I remember about a year ago, I walked into this sanctuary and saw chairs that uh, we had two here and three over there and maybe a handful over here. And we made some adjustments for a while. But after a while, we decided that it's time for the, the people of God to have the opportunity to come back and worship the Lord. And for the last several months now, we've been doing that, and God has kept his hand of protection upon us. We've had a few to get sick, and we've, we've lost one. But, you know, the Lord has helped us, and he has given us great strength and faith 
to go through this. He, there's nothing, and we're going to talk about it today, there's nothing that we face that we can't face it successfully with all the resources of heaven on our side. So we are winners today. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's good to see all of you today. Good. I, I always check my phone before I come up just so I can see who's watching online with us. And we've got several that are still online. So if you took all of them and their families and put them in the building with us today, we wouldn't have very many chairs left. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. He is uh, strengthening our local congregation, and I'm so very happy about that. Can I just take just a moment and thank you for your financial support of our church through this season? I mean, we haven't missed a beat. We really haven't. God has been good to us. People have tithed. I've never seen anybody. I had an individual this week. They said, Pastor, I feel so bad because I have not been able to come to church and bring my tithe. And I have it all stacked up over here, and I'm ready to bring it. He said, but I just haven't been able to get there yet. And I said, well, if you'd like for me to come by and pick it up, or if you'd like to put it in the mail, uh, we could do that. He said, no. He said, no. He said, the Bible didn't tell me to put it in the mail. The Bible told me to bring it to the Lord's house. And he said, one way or another, I'm going to find a way to bring it to the Lord's house. He said, because I want to do it as an act of worship. And so we've had so many who have been faithful. And because of you, we've been able to continue doing ministry uh, all throughout this entire pandemic. And I'm thankful that we have literally reached more people, I think, during this time than we would have on a normal basis. So God has been good to us. And I'm grateful for that. I truly am. So the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about this idea of revival in the sense that it is recovery. Revival is more than just a feeling that we have every now and then. It's more than just some chill bumps that come up and down our spine from time to time. But revival is about new life. It's, it's about bringing and breathing new things and becoming strong again and recovering those things that the enemy tried to steal from us, but he discovered that he could not do it because he cannot destroy the children of God. He came to do that. He came to kill and to steal and destroy but he quickly discovered that he was up against a foe named Jesus who came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. So I, I'm, you know, this idea of recovery is ours for the taking. Amen? So the first week we talked about repentance and how that sometimes there are these little foxes that get into our lives. Sometimes we don't even recognize them at the moment, but they're there and they're chewing the roots of our vineyard and they're preventing us from being able to bear the fruit that God desires for us to bear. These little foxes have to be dealt with just like David sinned when he numbered Israel. It was not adultery. It was not murder. It was not any of those top 10 sins. It was just one of those little foxes that got into his spirit. And because of that, 70,000 men in Israel lost their lives to a plague. 
the little things in our lives can cause big damage. Amen? But thank God He is able to help us to root those things out and to have victory over those little foxes. Last week, we talked about what a reprobate mind can do and how a seared conscience can, can impact our lives. And uh, this entire week, I've been thinking about things and hearing statements that were made, and my, my natural response to it was just simply, well, that came from a reprobate mind. And rather than getting upset about it, I prayed for that individual. I said, Lord, I know that you're able to turn their mind and turn their heart. And so rather than get upset and rather than get mad, I'm just going to pray for them because I know through discernment, I know that this is a reprobate mind. It is a seared conscience. So we've talked about a couple of things, and today we're going to talk about something that is a little more close to home because it's something that we all know about. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Chronicles, excuse me, I think it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I'm not going to read the entire thing right up front, but I'm going to take it in chunks and we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture today. And here's the point of our message today. The big idea is simply this, that true revival provides a place of rest for God's people. Sometimes we think about revival in the old terms and we think about this explosion of emotion. You know, if you grew up in the old church, we talked about revival. We'd bring an evangelist in from out of town. And we always wanted to get the one who could preach the loudest and the fastest and get everybody worked up and ready to have church. And I've been in a few services like that. And I'm thankful for that. I like, I like to experience the goodness of God in my life. I enjoy being able to worship exuberantly before God. I think it is a right of the people of God. I feel a little bit like Miriam did that one time when she reached over and got Jane's tambourine and started shaking it and leading the ladies in a worship service in the, on the spot. It wasn't really Jane's, but it could have been. I like to be able to worship that way. But sometimes revival does and brings different things into our lives that are unexpected. And one of the things that revival produces and recovery produces is this sense of rest and peace. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life that more than I need some explosion of emotion, I just need to rest. And so the scripture today uh, has in it one of the most commonly quoted verses in, in the church, and it's verse 14. And if I were to ask you to quote it, many of you could quote it with me. It simply says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. 
See, even as I said that, many of you were quoting that with me because we know it well. But oftentimes we think of that passage of Scripture as what I call an emergency verse. We see bad things happening and difficult things happening in the world and we just kind of shake our head and say, if my people which are humbled my name shall, you know. And it's almost like it's an emergency clause. But what I want you to see today, and, and, and the, one of the goals of this message today is to get you to see that that's not something that we only pull out in an emergency, but it is an atmosphere that we can live in that brings energy to our soul. It brings energy to our spirit. When we live in that mindset and in that mentality, it does something not only for us, but it changes the atmosphere around. And so let's talk about that for just a few moments this morning. Now there are three points that I'm going to make. And the first one is found in verses 1 through 3 and then verse 11. So if you have your Bibles or your devices open, read along with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 11. It says, Now when Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. And all the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. And they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they praised the Lord and said, for he is good, for his faithful love endures forever. And then verse 11. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. Everything, say everything. everything. That had entered into Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. So let's first talk about this idea of success. How many of you know that God wants you to succeed in life? He didn't call you to fail. He didn't give you resources so that you would just throw them aside and fail. He wants each of us to succeed in whatever it is that we're endeavoring to do for the kingdom of God. He wants your marriage to succeed. He wants your children to grow up and be believers of Christ and to be successful and faithful to the kingdom of God. He wants you to succeed in your job and at your place of employment. He wants people to look at you and see someone who has succeeded in life. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Solomon and the Israelites succeeded in what God had called them to do. Now, you know that David was not allowed to build the temple because there was too much blood on his hands. 
God said to David, I can't let you build the temple that I'm going to dwell in. There's just been too much blood on your hands. However, I am going to make it so that Solomon can build this temple for my uh, presence to dwell. And that's exactly what Solomon did. He took all the resources that David had saved through the years and he began to build the temple. And it took a period of time. But over that period of time, the Bible tells us that everything that they had planned for that temple succeeded. And so God allowed him to succeed in building the temple. Now the success was described as follows. It says that when they dedicated the temple that fire came down from heaven. You say, well, was God trying to destroy? No, fire in Scripture always references purity or purifying the sacrifice. And so when they built the altars and placed the burnt offerings on the altar, when God answered by fire, he was saying, I approve of this. I'm going to put my stamp of approval upon it, and I'm going to let you know visibly that what you have done, I have received and accepted. And so there was fire from heaven. And then the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord filled the house. How many of you old timers remember when the church used to talk about the Shekinah glory of God? And how that there was this, this mist, if you will, or this glory that entered into the house. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the house. In other words, there was not a place in the sanctuary. There was not a place in the house where the glory of the Lord was not. There was not a place that you could go to that you did not experience and know that there was a manifest presence of God in the house. You couldn't go to the restrooms in the hallway without walking in there and saying, God is in the bathroom today. God is in the restroom. God is in the foyer. God is in my seat. God is in me. The Shekinah glory of God filled the house. And the Bible goes on to say that the Shekinah glory of God was so strong and so visible that the priests were unable to function in their normal routines. When they started doing what they normally do in the house of God, they discovered that they couldn't do it because God was taking over. God didn't come to just get in with our flow. He came in to take over the flow and to do among his people what needed to be done. And the Bible says that they couldn't even do what they typically do. I can remember in the church it used to be a lot of times that the pastor wouldn't get to preach or the singers couldn't finish the song. They'd get to singing, and the power of God would fall, and the glory of God manifest in the house, and singers would jump off the stage and platform and start running around the house, and the preacher wouldn't get up to preach, and he'd feel a move of the Spirit to pray for men and women, and people would run from their seats to the front and get prayed for and slain in the Spirit. Uh, and I'm telling you, the power of God moved in such a powerful way 
that the normal routine of the church was interrupted by the Spirit of God. And that's what we saw. God manifested His presence. Israel observed the success and responded. In other words, it was not a secret. The Bible says that they watched the fire descend. They watched it. They visualized it in their their mind's eye, what was happening. And when they saw it, the Bible says, they bowed their faces upon the ground before the Lord in reverence. They weren't afraid to look. It wasn't they were, uh, that they were scared of the presence of God. In, in Scripture times, when someone would bow their head before uh, anyone, whether it be a king or a, a prince or a princess or a queen, they would bow themselves before them. And when the presence of God was so manifest among them and in their midst, the only thing that they knew to do uh, to give the proper respect to God was to bow themselves uh, before the Lord. I I remember the old song we used to sing. I, I fell on my knees and cried, holy. I bowed on my knees and cried holy. I saw Timothy. I saw Paul. I saw all the other ones said, I love them and I'm glad they're here. But the one I really want to see is my Savior, Jesus Christ. They worshiped and praised the Lord by declaring he is good, for his faithful love endures forever. They knew who they were worshiping. They knew intimately what God was able to do in their lives because he loved them and he was faithful to them. They succeeded. There are two things that we understand about this success. First of all, they were able to finish what God had started. You know, it's time for us to stop quitting on God. It's time for us to stop quitting on what God has called us to do. I'm going to quit my job. I'm I'm, going to quit on my spouse, on my marriage. I'm going to quit on my kids. I'm going to quit on this. I'm going to quit on that. Listen, God did not call us to quit. God called us to finish the work that he has called us to. Yes, I understand it can get difficult at times. Yes, I understand that we might look back and say, I wish we could have done this or I wish that had happened. Listen, We don't need to give up on what we believe God is able to do. We need to refocus our minds upon the goal and say, even though it has not happened yet, uh, God is going to enable us to finish the work. Yesterday, my wife and I went out to lunch, and we were just talking, talking about life, talking about this, that, and the other, and talking about church, and talking about here. And I told her, I said, you know, there's some things that I wish we could have done, some things I wish would happen, some things I'd like to see. People in our church that I would think that after 10 years, they would learn some of their lessons and not get themselves in trouble and not get discouraged and not get frustrated and not give up. And you just kind of want to shake your head and say, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And then I come in here this morning 
And I see some of you that I've wondered about with your hands lifted up, dancing before the Lord, singing before the Lord, tears coming down your cheeks. Uh, and I have to be reminded that this thing ain't over yet. God is still raising up his people and allowing us to overcome. Amen. So we can finish it. And then the next thing we see about their success is that it was full. In other words, the scripture says everything they dreamed of happened. Everything they wanted took place. If they wanted to have gold in the house, they had gold in the house. If they wanted to have bronze in the house, they had bronze in the house. If they wanted to have certain types of material to have the curtains with, they had it. In other words, whatever they desired, God provided for them. Now listen, I don't need a seat that is lined and plated with gold in order to come in here. I'm perfectly happy with these fabric ones. I don't have to have TV monitors that are 180 inches wide. I'm perfectly happy with the ones that we have. We don't have to have all of the grand things and schemes that we've thought about, but I'm telling you that whatever we need, God will supply in the fullness of his resources. And he'll do it for you, amen? He wants us to succeed. A work of art is finished when the artist's signature has been affixed. How many of you ever watched Bob Ross? Anybody? He had all those happy little accidents. He, 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 you know, he created all those little paintings. And one of the things that he always did at the end is he would, he would affix his signature to it. So that there was no mistake that this was a creation of Bob Ross. I used to love to watch Bob Ross. I still occasionally do. And take a nap to Bob Ross better than anything on TV. He's just so soothing, you know what I mean? And if you, if you want to laugh, all you got to do is look at his hair. But he would affix his signature to the creation. And when God came down in that situation and accepted the sacrifice and brought the fire and brought in the Shekinah glory. He was saying, this thing, though it was done by your hand, was my creation. It was my heart. It was my desire. And now I, God, am going to affix my signature upon this situation. Listen, some of you, God has already put his John Henry on your life. He's already signed your heart. He has already said, you are my child. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I'm signing my name upon your heart so that the entire world will know that you are mine. I'm glad to be his today, aren't you? Second thing I'm going to point out to you is, is that not only did they have success, but they were blessed. Look at verses 12 through 18. Read with me. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as the temple of sacrifice. And if I shut the sky so there is no rain, 
or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David. And you will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. Now, this is what I want you to see about verse 14. Verse 14 should not be lifted from its context. It has to live in the context of the author. And what the author was really saying, Ezra, as he's hearing from God, he's saying that there's a place where you can live and reside that will allow peace and rest to come to your soul, regardless of what may be going on around you. Because regardless of what is happening around you, if you live a particular way, God will be there to manifest His glory in your life. And so we have to understand that. Now, these verses describe a place. I put a little note hand scratched a little note that says home is where the soul rests. Isn't that true? I mean, if you take a vacation and go here, there, or whatever, as nice as it is, there's no place like home. There's no place like going into your house and kicking your shoes off and sitting in your chair and eating your porridge. You've got your own little quilt that you like to wrap up in. You've got your own little slippers. And if you can keep them away from your dog, you can actually put them on your feet. It's a place where you can rest. It's a place where you can feel at home. And that's really what Ezra is saying here. It is a holy place that is accepted and consecrated by God for the purpose of bringing rest to his people. It's a place where God's people can come and present sacrificial worship unto God, to give of their best to God. It's that kind of place. It's a place of safety. Notice he said, God said, if I stop the rain, don't worry about it. If I cause famine, don't worry about it. If I send a plague, don't worry about it. How many of you saw that little, little boy on Facebook this week singing? He said, don't worry about a thing. Did anybody see it? Because everything is going to be all right. I, I don't know how many times I watched it. I just loved it. Because that is the mindset that the people of God should have at all times. 
We don't worry about a thing because everything is going to be all right because God is in control. And he says in that context, he said, if I stop the rain, if I cause the famine, if I send the plague, and my people are in this place where they're expressing humility, where they are offering prayer, where they are seeking the face of God, where they are allowing repentance to move them in the divine direction, then don't worry about it. Because in that environment, I'm going to give you the heavenly resources that are rightfully yours. I'm going to bring forgiveness for your sins. I'm going to bring healing. And the word here isn't talking about physical healing. It's talking about the restoration or the recovery of your life, your soul, your spirit. Everything that God intended for you to have to bring to him, he's going to restore it and recover it through his power. And then he goes on and he says, there will be continual oversight. He said, my eyes will be open to you. And then he says, my ears will be attentive to you. So he's talking about this place where the people of God can live and reside that promotes, promotes peace and promotes rest. Now, when we get out of balance and we start living contrary to this, then we get upset. We become frustrated. But God's saying to us, he said, look, you can live this way all the time. You don't have to get up in the morning and hear the news and say, uh-oh, bad stuff's happening. We better humble ourselves and pray and ask for forgiveness and seek the face of the Lord. We better do it today. My God, the Democrats are in now. My Lord, the Republicans are in control. We better ask for forgiveness. We better humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of the Lord. We get so bent out of shape over things that just wreck our lives. When God is just saying, why don't you just be at peace? Why don't you just walk humbly before me every day? Why don't you incorporate prayer into your life every day? Why don't you seek my face in everything Doesn't the Bible say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things shall be added unto you? Why not seek my face every day? Why don't you just repent and get on the right path and keep moving in that direction? We have to repent every revival. Well, a new new evangelist came to town, so I was living this way, and I repented, and I turned around and went this way. But then I went to work, and I got off track, and I turned around, and I started going this way again. And then somebody preached, and I got under conviction, and I repented, and I turned around, and I went the other way again. Some of us have changed direction so many times that we don't even know which way we're going. We're just kind of 
up and down and in and out and I don't know I feel good and if the preacher will preach good and fast and fire me up I could I think I can make it listen we've got to learn how to set our course uh, on the things of heaven uh, and set our focus uh, upon his will for our lives uh, and pursue it with everything that is in us and stop quitting he said, don't worry about it. Just be humble, pray, seek my face, and repent. Walk in my way. And he said, if you'll do that, you won't have to even worry about whether or not I'm going to send a drought upon the earth. You won't even have to concern yourself with whether or not there's a famine in the land. You won't even have to worry about COVID-19 or any other plague that may come upon the face of the earth. Because if you're walking that way, you will walk with the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that says to your soul and your spirit, it's going to be okay because God is in control. And you say, well, does plagues... Does it take people from this earth? Surely it does. We've seen that in our own congregation. But listen, the ones who have left us, they wouldn't come back because they have experienced uh, everything that they had hoped for when they turned their life over to Jesus Christ. Hey, G. Paul, I miss Joyce. I know I don't miss her as much as you do. I understand that. But I miss her smiling face so much. I used to love to see her walking in here and interacting with us and loving our kids and holding our babies and worshiping the Lord here. But for some reason that we don't know and understand, God chose to allow her to come on home into her presence. I know this. I may not know why her time came, but I do know when it did come that Jesus was standing there with open arms to welcome her into his presence because when we are absent from the body, we are present from the Lord and that's what Ezra is saying he's saying you can live in a place of peace where it doesn't matter if it's drought or famine or plague you can just shake it off and say oh it doesn't matter because God is in control it doesn't matter because God is in this place he is in my heart he is in my mind and people say, how can you be at peace in such a time as this? I'll tell you how. Because I live humbly. I pray without ceasing. I seek the face of God in everything. And I know that He is with me. Amen. And then there's a final thing. We talked about their success. God wants you to succeed. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to succeed. We talked about how that they were blessed. All these things that God said he would do. But then he gives them a warning in closing. He talks about the possibility for unrest in verses 19 through 22. Let me read for you. However, now listen. Anytime the Lord is handing out promises, 
and blessings upon his people. If you ever come to a place in that passage of scripture where it says, however, or but, boy, you better pay attention. Because what he is saying is, this is all that I have planned to do. But if you don't do your part, you're not going to get the finest blessings that I have reserved for you. So when God says, but, or however, we should listen. Verse 19, he says, however, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow in worship to them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil that I gave them. And this temple that I have sanctified for my name, I will banish from my presence. I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. And as for this temple which was exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will say, why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they clung to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. And because of this, he brought all this ruin upon them. Now listen, if you don't know this by now, you need to hear what I'm about to say to you. God is a jealous God. And I don't mean that, that he's being petty. and God doesn't have those kinds of attributes. He's, Jesus was sinless. But what it means is, is that God has established this place of higher living and priority that he expects us to attempt to attain by living according to his will for our lives. And as long as we'll do that, God will be up there saying, come on, you can do it. You can make it. Just grab hold of that little crevice right there and keep climbing. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm right here. You're within an arm's reach. I could reach up and grab you right now, but I want you to keep climbing. I want you to keep coming. I'm right here, and I will get you here if you will not stop and say, I've had enough of this, oh Lord. I've had enough. I don't want to finish. That's what he's warning them against. Listen, there are seasons in our lives of great blessing. All of you can think back through your lives and remember times when God's hand was upon you and your life and your family in such a way that every day that you got up, the blessings of God were fresh and new. I mean, it was like fresh bread in the house. This restaurant we went and ate, to, ate at yesterday, it was... It was a little bit more than we typically do, but we wanted a good meal, and we wanted to go somewhere that was nice, 
you know, and enjoy the meal. And we walked in, and the waiter came over, and he said, would you like bread? And I thought, do you even have to ask? But my wife, being the nice lady that she is, she said, yes, please. And they brought this bread out, and it smelled so good. And I don't even eat a lot of bread because of the carbs, but I thought, I'm going to have me some of this. And it was warm. I mean, it, it melted the butter, I mean, within seconds. It's like, shrop, shrop, shrop. Mm, it's ready for the mouth. I was feeling good about it. I hate to tell you that I ate three pieces because it was so good. Well, they were little pieces. Hey, they, they, they weren't like loaf bread. Which, by the way, I went back home and I saw the loaf bread and I thought, you are so inferior to what I ate earlier. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes life is just like loaf bread, but then there are other seasons of life when it seems like every day that you get up, I mean, it's like fresh bread in the house and your spouse walks by and you look at them and you say, whoop-dee-doo, man, this makes life worth living. I kissed my wife this week and she looked up at me and she said, Why'd you do that? And I said, this is one of the many reasons that I married you, my dear. So that I could kiss you every day if I wanted to. She enjoyed it as much as I did. And I said, man, I feel like we ought to just do this every day that we live. Old song we used to sing that says, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. How many of you remember that one? Woo, look at that. I've changed it up a little bit through the years. Every day with Donna is sweeter than the days before. <clears throat> Listen, God wants us to experience his goodness. And he has already done everything that needs to be done for us to walk and live in abundance. He said, and I will do it. He said, doesn't matter if there's famine in the land. Doesn't matter if there's drought in the land. Doesn't matter if there's plague in the land. If you will walk humbly with me and pray and seek my face and turn from wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive sin and heal your land. That's where I want to live every day of my life. I don't have to reach down for it in an emergency, but I want every day to be a day that I live and walk humbly before Him in prayer, seeking His face and turning my face from wickedness. And we can live there. Come help me quit if you will. Here's what I've learned. Part of experiencing revival is obtaining fresh revelation. There are some things about God that we don't know yet that we need to know. If we're going to take our relationship with Him to a higher level, 
there are some things that you don't know today that you need to know. And if you will walk humbly and pray and seek His face and be free of sin, He will reveal to you what you need to know so that you can go higher in Him. He said, listen, if you don't do it, there will be a loss of blessing. I will uproot Israel from the very land that I gave them. He said, if you don't do it, there will be a loss of spiritual influence. Did you notice that he said that if I have to destroy this temple, and I will if I must. You know what that says to me? Number one, it says that God is more concerned about his people than he is his palaces. He's more concerned with you. He loves you. He wants you to be blessed. But he said, if you don't walk in my ways, I promise I'll destroy the very temple that I put my blessing upon in order to discipline you and bring you back to myself. The other thing that he said was is that if you don't abide in this lifestyle, the world will look at you and they will see you not as a success, but as a failure. And it will not just be reflective of your life but it will reflect ne negatively upon God because it will seem like that the God of Israel could not do what he said he would do. Listen, we're here to represent him. We're here to live in such a way that others will look at us and see him and see him as the almighty, all-powerful God but when we're just limping through life, it looks like that God has failed. It looks like that God is not able to see us through. So what we have got to learn to do is stop limping through life and saying, God, you've called me to higher ground. Help me to live in that place. So now let's not close on a sour note. I mean, we talked about success, we talked about blessing, we talked about a warning of unrest if we didn't live in the ways of the Lord. Let's don't stop in that sour note place. Let's revisit the reality that what God wants is to bless us and to help us to succeed. And so if we will draw our energy from living a holy life, if we will draw our energy from our prayer life, if we will draw our energy from our seeking the face of God in everything, where is God in this? What is God doing in this circumstance? How is God moving among us? God, I'm seeking your face. I want to see the revelation in this situation. 
that will help me to understand what it is that you're doing. I'm living humbly. I'm praying. I'm seeking your face. And I'm doing everything I can to walk before you in righteousness. When we do that, God said, no matter what else is happening, you will carry my blessings upon your life. Isn't that good news today? I want to carry the blessings of God. I want people to look at me and say, that man is blessed by the hand of God. I want people to look at you and say, there is no reason for that person to have a smile on their face. There is no reason for that person to be happy. There is no reason for that person to be an overcomer. But they'll know that it's the hand of God and the work of God upon your life causes you to overcome. So here's how I want to close today. I want to tell you once again that one of the things that happens when revival comes and recovery comes is that you will experience rest for your soul. Some of you are so tensed up by life walk every day in anxiety every day wondering what's going to happen how am I going to make it will I be able to see this through I want you to know today is, is that when a revival comes from the hand of God it will relax you and rest you close with this the other day it snowed on top of ice. I took the dog out to do his business. He pulled me. I slipped. I fell. First thing I did was look around the neighborhood to see if anybody saw it. Got myself up and brushed myself off. Came inside the house and I asked my wife, I said, are we going anywhere, doing anything today? She said, where would we go and what would we do? I said, that's all I needed to know. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to clean myself up, brush my teeth. I ain't going to put no goop in, your, in my hair. I'm just going to get myself ready. And I'm going to put my pants on for inside the house, my sweatpants, put my sweatshirt on, and I just went ahead and warned her and said, listen, you need to know, I ain't putting no bra on today. Ain't gonna happen. Sit down in our chairs. We watched three movies. Three popcorn cookies. Let me tell you, you cannot beat a good pecan sandy. It's like the heavenlies open when you have a pecan sandy in your hand. I think I had to have one pecan sandy for every movie that we watched. Let me tell you something. I had peace in my soul. I wasn't worried about no plague. 
I wasn't worried about no famine because I had become Sandy's. I wasn't worried about a drought because I had plenty of ice that was about to melt in my front yard. I wasn't worried about a thing because I knew that God was on my side and I had everything that I needed. That's what I want you to see today. This place in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 describes a place where you can live and experience the rest and the respite and the recovery that you so desperately need in your life. Now, if you need that today, I think you ought to just jump up right where you are and throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I want it, I need it, and I'm asking you to bring that kind of recovery into my life. Go ahead, jump up right now and ask God to bring it into your life. He'll do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Take a moment and praise Him. Take a moment and thank Him this morning. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing with them.